Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Psalm chapter 127 is where we are today. And Psalm 127, if you'll look at it above verse number 1, is described as a song of degrees. There's about 13 of these psalms that are described as psalm of degrees. And just so you'll have the historical understanding of why it's called a song of degrees, is that these were special traveling songs. Do you have special traveling songs that you would sing when you were driving or when you were in a bus or on a family road trip? My dad would sing different songs to us. He would say, oops, there goes another rubber tree plant. And we would sing that. And then from time to time, we would sing a hundred bottles of Coke on the wall. Some of you don't know you're in a Baptist church. A hundred bottles of Coke on the wall, a hundred bottles of Coke. You take one down, pass it around. 99 bottles of Coke on the wall. That was one of my mom's least favorite songs when we would sing that as a family on traveling trips. Well, this song that we're singing here is a song of degrees. And whenever the children of Israel would travel to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is set up high. Its altitude is higher than the valley below it. And so the children of Israel were required on three different occasions to go into the temple and make a sacrifice. At the feast of the uh, Passover, All of the men of Israel were to present themselves, and they would bring their families with them. Then there would be the Feast of Pentecost, which is several weeks later. They were supposed to make that trip again and uh, present themselves to the Lord. And then several months after that would be the Feast of the Tabernacle. And so people would come from all over the nation, from as far north as Dan and as far south as Beersheba. On the other side of the Jordan River, there would be tribes that would traverse and head into Jerusalem. And as they would head into Jerusalem, the Songs of Degrees, which is one of the Psalms that we're going to be talking about today, the Psalm of Degree was a Psalm that they would sing as they were uh, taking those switchbacks up into Jerusalem. And so it was a very common psalm. It would be something that people were very familiar with. And so this psalm of degrees has a specific intention. This psalm of degrees is intended to give us an understanding of purpose, principles, and priorities in our life. Because sometimes in all of the hustle and bustle of life, we can tend to take our attention off of the fact that God has us here for a reason. Look at the person beside you and say that God made you for a reason. Good job, Tita. He's not there. Okay, okay, good. He just, for a minute there, I didn't think it was going to come, but you did it. Yes, God made you for a reason. We are not accidents by chance. We are not the product of a colossal big bang and billions of years. God made you for a reason and for a purpose. Now, everybody else wants to assign a purpose to your life. About two weeks ago, my third daughter, Charlotte, got her driver's permit. And in gathering all of, by the no, we're okay with it now. This is our third daughter. We've already gone through PTSD counseling, and we're on the other side. We're healing now. So my third daughter, Charlotte, got her driver's permit, and we're gathering all of the materials together for her driver's permit. And I gave her, I said, okay, now you are in charge of this. This is your social security card. 
And she said, it's not her social security card. That would be doxing some nefarious person. But this, I gave her her social security card. And when I gave her her social security card, she said, what is this? And I explained to her that this is uh, the United States of America has assigned you a number. And for out your life, throughout your life, you will be assigned this number. It's a number you're going to memorize. You don't want to share it out with people. Whenever you go for a loan, whenever you go to apply for school, whenever you're doing a number of different things, you are identified by this number. If you understand that, say yes, okay? Then there are certain people that will assign us different numbers or they will look at us like consumers, So if you have a bank, you have an account number, and they might ask you, oh, so what is your name, Mr. Josh? Oh, that's great. That's so great. We care about your name, but what is your account number? Because you might have a name, you have feelings, you have ideas, you have a beautiful family and and one coming soon, but they don't care about that. You know what they care about? What's your account number? So to the United States government, you're a, you're a social security number. To your bank, you're an account number. In the summer, you are dollar bills to these people. That's all they care about with you. Just more money, more money, more money. But you, have, you are a consumer. And oftentimes with that hustle and bustle of life, we can tend to take our focus, our attention off the priority that God made you with a purpose. Your life is more than making enough money to run the air condition. Your life is more than putting money into a bank account. Your life is more than trying to keep your private information secret from uh, credit card scammers and those who would take it for nefarious reasons. You were made with a purpose. God made you for a reason. And in that reason and in that purpose, sometimes our lives get so distracted that we forget God wants to use my life. And God wants me to build and grow and work in such a fashion that the kingdom of God is expanded through my life. The psalmist would say, David would say, that we have six score years and ten, about 70 years. And if by reason of strength we get 80 years, then God has demonstrated our strength. Well, God's given us more. God has a purpose for our life than is more than going through 45, 55, 100 years on this earth. He has a purpose for you. He made you with a plan. You are special and dear to God. You are not just an account number. Aren't you thankful for that? And that God cares about you. And he knows your name and your life and your circumstances and your relationships And that which is valuable to you is is valuable to God. And so in that idea of what am I living my life for, what am I building in my purposes, Psalm chapter 127 reminds us that every purpose of my life should be molded into the principles and priorities of God. In Psalm chapter 127 We'll read it together. You can look at your Bible or look at your screen. It's five short verses, but there are powerful things interjected. The Bible says this, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. 
and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children in the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Father, I pray that in the next few moments you would help me communicate, communicate truth to these, my friends, from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Psalm chapter 127, in verse number 1, we see this first principle, the principle of building. And it's this, that God desires to use your life in conjunction with his purposes. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse number 27, the Bible says that God made man in his image and in his likeness, so God created male and female, created he them. God made you with a purpose. The purpose of your life is to be an image bearer of who God is. That's your purpose. And in the purpose of your life, there was a huge event that stopped that purpose from coming forward. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God and they partook of the fruit. And in disobedience to Almighty God, they brought sin into their lives. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The original intent of man was to be a reflection of who Jesus Christ was, to demonstrate the goodness of who God was. But man sinned. And so this image became marred, it became broken, it was full of blemishes and unable to represent God. But the Bible tells us this, that God commendeth, or he demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God loved us enough that he did not want our human condition to be broken and averse to him. He gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He died, was buried, and rose again so that we could have heaven as our home, our sins forgiven, and a renewed purpose in life. And so the Bible says this, it doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done, that all of us have sinned. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. But Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, died for your sins. He died for my sins. And he offers us salvation free of charge. How could he do that? And how do we know that that's the case? Because he rose from the dead, proving he's God. And everything he said is true. And he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved today? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you were to die today, do you have the certainty that heaven would be your home? If you do, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 20, the Bible says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. The original intent of God and man working in tandem can once again be reunited through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. What is he created to do? To be an ambassador. Your job, your purpose in life is to represent Jesus Christ. Whether you're in construction, whether you're in law enforcement, whether you work for the utility company, whether you work for the government, whether you're out on the base, or whether you're out here in retail, every single step of your day is intended to show the world that there is a God and he loves sinners so much so that he died was buried and rose again to pay for sinners that's 
our purpose in life. Now, when we live inside of those purposes, the Bible tells us that we are working in communion with God. When we fail to live in those purposes, we're following the path of verse number one. The Bible says this, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We become failures in our own effort. In the 1700s, right after the war for independence, this great burgeoning nation was faced with setting up their own government. Prior to the Declaration of Independence, our forefathers would daily open up the House of Representatives with prayer and a time of going to God. But in the first Constitutional Convention, there was bickering and fighting between South Carolina and Pennsylvania and Virginia and Georgia and all the different delegates warring with each other. It was Benjamin Franklin who would quote this verse. And he would say, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. In that quotation, he made this statement. In the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we, daily, we had daily prayers in his room for divine protection, he stated. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. Do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? This is an amazing statement. A man who is building a brand new country with freedom and independence and a desire to bring some new idea that had never been seen on the face of this earth, that all men are created equal. There's no king that has a superiority. There is no divine right of this person. We are all created equal. And in order to get to that place, Benjamin Franklin said, we better go to God because if not, verse number one, he quotes this in this exact passage. He quotes and says, unless the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. If they're doing something as noble as building a country and recognizing God, then in whatever endeavor we're doing, whether starting a business, trying to have a family, or create a marriage that would honor God, we need the Lord's help in it. Everything we do needs the Lord's help. Without the Lord, we are just going to see a whole lot of vanity. That's what Solomon said. The wisest and wealthiest man who ever lived was a man by the name of Solomon. And the Bible tells us this, that he records the frustration of his life's endeavors. In verse number 18 of Ecclesiastes 2, he says, Yea, I hated all my labor. Now, he's not saying I hate my job. There's a difference between hating my job. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever hated a job? I had a job where I would wash 4,000 dishes a night when I was in college. I hated that job. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. He says, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun. What was his job? He was the king. I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Every car that you are driving will someday belong to somebody else. The house that you're living in and paying a mortgage for will someday be lived in by somebody else. Everything, the job, the position that you work so hard to get, I have made supervisor, will someday be held by somebody else. I'm part of the board of directors. Someday that will be held by somebody else. Everything else, and Solomon comes to the conclusion, everything I do is I'm just spinning my wheels. I'm spinning my wheels because someday, 
somebody else is going to come after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? The person who takes my space, he could be better than me, or he could be a blithering idiot. I have no clue. Yet he shall have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored. I've been doing all this work, and someday, someday this guy's going to come in, and he's going to be in charge of all my stuff. And wherein have I showed myself wise under the sun? This also is vanity. Solomon says, I've done all of this work, and it seems to be worthless and of no value. It's as, worthless, it's, it's, it's as much value as a sunflower seed shell, where it's empty, and all that's left is the shell of a sunflower seed. It flies around, and nobody wants anything to do with it. That's how vain my life and my work has become. Human force is intended to partner with God, but on our own, we find historic failure. But the Bible tells us that the Lord wants to be that Father who comes alongside and works in our endeavors, partners with us, and uses our life for his glory. Look at the end of verse number one. The Bible says, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Now, this is interesting. We see the partnership here. We see a man who's out there at the gates of the city, and he's watching, and he's watching, and he's watching, and he's watching, and he's watching. There was a man at the gates of Jericho who was watching, and was watching, and was watching, and was watching, and he saw the Jews come in, and this is recorded in Joshua chapter 6. He saw the Jews come in, and they walked all around his city. And then they went back and they did that six days in a row. And on the seventh day, that same watchman, he's watching. They walked around not once, not twice, but seven times. And it didn't matter what that watchman did because when they sounded the horn of the Lord, the walls that he was keeping watch crumbled underneath him. Because if the Lord's not keeping watch, they labor in vain. They labor in vain. But we also see this. There is a watchman that the Lord is working with. The Lord doesn't say, hey, buddy, you go take a nighty night, and I'll just be in charge out here. There's a watchman that is working with the Lord. Lord, help me. Now, if you don't have the Lord, you're the Jericho dude falling down. But if you do have the Lord, there is some power. There is some synergy there. You have to mention that because oftentimes people will look at the sovereignty of God and they will relinquish their human responsibility. What we see in verse number one is human responsibility and God's power working in tandem with each other. If you take the responsibility of God and you, you abandon your own responsibility, you have become what the Bible describes as slothful or lazy. In Proverbs chapter 22, in verse number 13, the Bible says, The slothful man saith, there's a lion without. Ah! Why don't you come outside? There are lions out there. And so, I shall be slain in the streets. The Bible doesn't say, that guy's a smart guy, because there are lions. Can I tell you this? Outside of this building, there are lions. I don't know where they are, but there are lions outside of this building. They might be in Africa. They might be at uh, 
they're not at the Mirage anymore. They got rid of all those tigers. But there are, there are lions outside of this. The slothful man says, oh, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything uh, because there's lions. And in his safety, his safety becomes laziness. He is uh, stuck as a servant. So God never condones laziness. God never condones idleness. The Bible says this, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. You work hard, you will be promoted. You invest, you will make more money. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. I am now the supervisor. Why? Because I've been diligent. But the slothful shall be under tribute. A person who says, yeah, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do it, they will always be under tribute. God doesn't condone laziness. He doesn't condone idleness. But what he does support is a partnership. In Isaiah 40, 31, he says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their what? Strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run. Now notice the human effort. They shall sleep. No, they shall run and not be weary. They shall take a nap. No, they shall walk and not faint. Notice the conjunction of human effort and God's power. God loves to work in tandem with men. That was the original purpose of creation, that God works through and with, and his power is seen when we live in obedience to him. Isn't that beautiful? Now, if I don't stand for what God wants me to be, I will shrink under the pressure. The Bible says, thou therefore gird up thy loins. And arise and speak unto thee all that I have commanded. This is in Jeremiah chapter 1. And be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. God desires to use your passion, to use your power, to use your purposes. And he wants to align them with the principles and priorities of his word. And he changes the world. When God's people get to work under the power of his Holy Spirit, that is a powerful powerful force. God desires to use your life, to use your talents with his purposes, his priorities, following his principles. Oh, that's the way the world is changed. But so many of us are going on our own agenda and we're building our own houses and we give, oh, yes, good, yes, Lord. We good? We still good? And God says, no, no, no. Live your life in my purposes. Live your life in my priorities. And then when we build it together, oh, that's a force to be reconciled, uh, uh, reckoned with. He shows us verse number two, the beloved. In verse number two, he says, it is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows. This is interesting. Why do we have so much mental illness why do we have so much anxiety, depression, tension? I just can't sleep at night. I need to take a pill to go to sleep at night. I drink my coffee with another pill so I can wake up in the day. At 2 o'clock, I have to have my five-hour energy so that I'll be able to uh, binge watch my next flick shows all into the evening to keep my mind off of the debts that I'm still watching uh, all throughout the night. And we have one uh, psychosis after this ism, after this problem. And God says this, it is vain. Look at verse number two. It is vain for you to rise up early. Well, I just rise up early. I, I'm an early riser. Well, I burn the midnight oil. I stay up late. No one's going to outwork me. And to eat the bread of sorrows, I never have a steak. That is the bread of sorrows. You, you are, yeah, I've committed to being a vegetarian. 
to, to eat the bread of sorrows. Because the Bible says he giveth his beloved sleep. There is empty energy exhausted whenever I'm not living in the purposes of God. I fill my life with worry and anxiety and overdue payments and late nights and expectations and debt and stress. And I go through all of these things. And God says, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to know the ease that comes in following my principles and following my priorities. The Bible says, for lo, he giveth his beloved sleep. He desires for us to have an expected ease, okay? Two weeks ago, um, Michael Battle, who's our children's director, said, hey, let's do something with our summer interns that we've never done before. I said, what's that? He said, let's go and kayak from Hoover Dam down to Willow Beach. And I said, that sounds great. Let's do it. He said, it's about 12 miles, and we'll just go, we'll pack a lunch, and we'll have a good time. And he said 12 miles, like 12 miles is like, oh, it's just 12 miles. He didn't, when I say 12 miles, I say words like this, 12 miles. But Michael on this day said, it's like 12 miles and we'll get some lunch. We'll have a good time. It'll be a great afternoon. Like, not, he did not say 12 miles. So about the first four miles of this trip was absolutely incredible. They dropped us off. They dropped us off at the base of Hoover Dam. And we got in kayaks, and my daughters were in a couple kayaks. The guys, our summer missionaries, were in a couple kayaks. And Michael was at the back of a canoe with his daughter in the middle and one of the college guys up at the front. And they're just kayaking and doing their, uh, they're doing their canoeing thing. And the guy, when he dropped us off, said, Now listen, we're going to pick you up about 3.30. And you need to be there at 3.30. You could get a fine, and we might even just leave you. And there is no place to stop. Once you start going, there are no rescue boats that come up and get you. There's no helicopters. You, you just have to get to the end. And I thought, that's kind of weird that they would say stuff like that. <laughs> like, like there's no rescue boats that come up and get you. Like, why would we need a rescue boat? He said, you need to understand that the river is traveling about three to five miles per hour downstream. And there might every once in a while be some wind that comes back at you, and so you're going to have to paddle a little bit harder when the wind's coming back. And, oh, and, and, and it was only just going to be 12 miles. So we got on this trip, and as we got on this trip, I'm telling you, the first four miles were beautiful. We were in this canyon, and the shadows were all over. We saw some hot springs. We did this. It was just a great, great trip. But then about the four-mile uh, four mark, the canyon opens up, and it got a little bit windy. And there was, there was a breeze coming in our faces of about 10 to 15 miles per hour, a constant breeze. And so if you do the math, you're paddling. I don't know how fast you're paddling, but you're paddling. And as you're paddling along, you're going with the river at 3 to 5 miles per hour. But then there's something pushing back at you at 10 to 15 miles per hour. Michael told us later that there were gusts of 30 to 40 miles per hour that were coming back. And I'm telling you, at one moment, at about the six-mile mark, from mile four to mile six, we're doing this. And I looked down on my watch, and it said, beware, you're about to have a heart attack. Then I went to the next message. <laughs> then I went to the next message, and I saw how far we'd be going. And for the last hour, we were going two miles per hour. There was a time when I remember 
were paddling like this. And we were literally going backwards. <laughs> and remember, there are no rescue boats that are coming to get you. It was, it was a wonderful, great time. I had a great time for the first four miles. But then at the end of the day, it was just so exhausting that we got in there, and this is Luke and I. <laughs> Luke passed out. Luke is literally asleep in the back, on the front of that boat. And there I am with my body doing everything I can not to go backwards. Okay? So many of us are like this. We are fighting this fight that we don't have to be fighting. Where God wants us to live like Luke. (laughs) Just get in the boat, I'll get you there. Notice what he says in verse number two. He says, for he giveth his beloved sleep. Do you see that? Now, this is really cool because this is what he's referencing. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, the Bible says, David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, went into her and he lay with her and she bare a son. And he called his name Solomon. So his son's name is Solomon, which means peace. It's his formal name. I have a nephew whose name is Jeffrey Neal Berkey III. That's his formal name. Probably on his social security card or his driver's license, it'll say Jeffrey Neal Berkey. But if you know my nephew, Jeffrey Neal Berkey, you probably have never called him Jeffrey Neal Berkey. We all call him Trey. That's his, that's his name. Anybody who knows him never calls him Jeffrey Neal Berkey unless it's his mom and he did something really bad. The Bible tells us that Solomon's name was Solomon, but David had a name for him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah. David called Solomon Jedidiah, which is translated beloved, because of the Lord. Notice what God says he wants to do with your life, with your purposes, with your talents. Behold, and this is David using a double, double innuendo here, behold, he giveth his what? Beloved sleep. Is there anything more precious than going in and seeing a child sleeping? If you're a parent and you go in there and you're like, finally, oh, they're sleeping. That kid doesn't think anything about a power bill or interest rates or a bull or a bear market has no concern about what's going on in Washington, D.C. or the Ukraine. He's not worried about a Maui wildflower, uh, wildfire, and he's not worried about about Hillary coming through. That baby, he knows mom and dad will take care of everything, and he is able to have rest. And this is how David describes resting in God. When you are following his purposes, living by his principles, and going through his priorities— He gives that kind of rest. Isn't that beautiful? The Bible tells us this. He speaks of the blessing. And as he begins to talk about God has a purpose for your life, but all of us have an expiration date on that life. You have an expiration date. I don't know when it is. You don't know what it is. But at some time, your life will come to an end. So does that mean that everything that you did with your life is meaningless? Once your life ends, 
Well, Solomon said if it's outside of the scope of God's work, then yes, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Well, I don't want my life to be vain. I don't want it to be empty sunflower seed shells. I want my life to have substance. So in verse number three, he talks about the blessing of that continued heritage with God. In verse number three, he says, lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are not a punishment to parents. <laughs> Let me just say that one more time. <laughs> Children are not a punishment to parents for having too good of a time. That's not what this whole thing is about. Children, the Bible says, are a blessing from God. In fact, they're an amazing blessing from God. Look what the Bible says. Lo, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. God says that offspring are a blessing from him. In fact, he talks about the joy of the youth of having a child. In John chapter 16, the Lord describes seeing a woman who's in uh, childbirth, going through labor, and all of that struggle, and all of those hours, and the pushing, and the pain, but as soon as that baby cries, it's worth it all. The Bible says that children are a blessing from God. By the way, that's why I'm so thankful that right now, there's about a hundred or so children back there learning about Jesus. And that we have a young church where there are young men and young ladies who are getting Bible stories invested in their life. They're being challenged to learn the Word of God because there are parents who understand, I've been given this wonderful blessing and I want to make sure that children are growing up in the heritage of the Lord. There is a blessing with offspring and the Bible tells us that they are the offering or they are the gift of God. Children are God's instruments of continuing his blessing from generation to generation. The Bible says in verse number four that we are described as bows. In verse number four, he says this, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. The Bible describes children as arrows. And if the children are arrows, what are we? We are the bows. This is such a great illustration that the Lord uses here. Those arrows fly wherever the bow is pointed. If education is important, that's where the arrow flies. If money is important, that's where the arrow flies. If popularity is important, then that's where the arrow flies. It gives unfinished business to the person whose life is based upon his purposes and priorities. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children, uh, so are children of the youth. They are the ultimate benefit. They go to a place where we cannot. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is incumbent upon those who are knowing the purposes of God and living in the purposes of God and following his principles and his priorities to not just take those and hoard them unto ourselves, but to share those unto the next generation and be a bow that marks where people should go, where they should aim at, what life is all about, because that's what this principle is teaching. You're showing them where they should go, and you're helping them hit the mark. And what's beautiful, with that unfinished business, you have an expiration date. But when you point that bow in the right direction, that arrow goes a whole lot farther than you could ever get. 
And that's the illustration being used here. It's able to accomplish things. It's able to finish tasks. It's able to grow a kingdom that your expiration date cannot. But when you cast a vision and you shoot that arrow with a bow that God placed in your hands, the Bible tells us you are doing stuff that you'll never be able to accomplish. In verse number five, he talks about the bounty of a life lived with his purposes, principles, and priorities. He says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Speaking of children, they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. This is amazing. That bounty demonstrates that the greatest wealth in the world is family. It's the greatest thing you're going to have. I've done scores and scores and scores of funerals as a pastor. And people who have been popular and people who are not known at all. You know who's always at a funeral? It's family. There's something worth investing in family. And sometimes family can be irritating, can't it? (laughs) And sometimes family can be difficult. But it's worth investing in. Family is a priority. Oh, it's okay to go in debt for family. It's okay to do uh, extravagant things for family. Why? Because it's family. Family is worth investing in. But the other principle is this, not just the negative that somebody's going to mourn your loss, but God desires for us to take what he's been given to us and pass it to the next generation. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number one, the Bible says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible teaches us that we are in a race. I was saved in the, uh, in the 1990s. I came to know Jesus Christ as my savior. The gospel did not start in the 1990s. You know what that means? That there was somebody in 40 AD who passed the baton to somebody else. And there was somebody at 163 AD that passed the gospel to somebody else. And somebody in five unnamed people I don't even know until I get to heaven. But there was somebody in the 12th century. There's somebody in the 15th century that took the baton and passed it along. And today, I can get up in Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada that wasn't even discovered by many of the people that carried that baton. It wasn't even discovered centuries ago. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is able to be spoken in this place because somebody was faithful to take that baton and pass it. And we don't even know their names, but we do know the God that they served. And the beauty of living a life focusing on the next generation is that my life is to be used. Here, you got to do this. Why? Because this is what we're shooting for. Here, take this baton. You're going to run with it, and you're going to run a whole lot farther than I can. Why? Because my knees are 45-year-old knees, and these arms kayaked for 12 miles. But you can go all the way down there. This is where you're going to go. Take this baton and take it where it's supposed to go. There is no disappointment in the investment of the next generation. How do you know? Because the Bible says, they shall not be ashamed. Have you ever invested in something and regretted it later? Hello, cryptocurrency. Have you ever, this is a surefire stock. You won't want to miss this. Oh, this, this is sure, you will not want to invest in gold. So many times we'll invest in things, and we invest, and we invest, and we invest, and then we're disappointed with them. The Bible says in verse number five, they shall not be ashamed. That word ashamed is the idea of disappointment. When you invest in passing that baton, 
so that they can go where the bow is shooting that arrow, oh, there's never disappointment. They shall not be ashamed. The Bible says this, and it closes this chapter by saying, the mighty man overcomes the enemy's selfish ambitions through his children. The man who wanted to steal, malign, and beat up against the mighty man of God, he hoards all his resources. And when he dies, it's done. Who picks up those resources and uses those resources for a more noble purpose? The mighty man whose arrows are still around and said, oh, we can use that, we can use that, we can use that. Look at what God's going to use for his glory. You see, Psalm 127 demonstrates to us three things, that each of us have a purpose in life. All of us must follow his principles, and we need to live by his priorities. And if we're fighting this war, we're kayaking down a stream, and we're going nowhere, that's why all of our focus must be aligned to the purposes, priorities, and principles of God's Word. Are yours? Or are you doing your own thing? You're trying to create your own brand, market your own ideal, get to a status so that you are hashtag trending, or are you in a place where you say, God, I'm just living in a way that honors you. I'm not being lazy, and I'm working hard, but Lord, I need you to reward my effort. Not so that I can consume it upon myself because you've just put me as a part of this relay where I'm passing that baton to the next generation. Because when we understand that, the Bible says there's no disappointment. Because there's always value in living in the purposes of our Savior. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that it gives us to live under your purposes, your principles, and your priorities. May we adopt those this week. And at times whenever we are challenged to live selfishly, live by our own means, to, to pursue our own passions and violate scriptural uh, commandments and principles so that the ease may be more frequent. I pray that you challenge us about that. Lord, may we look for ways to invest in the race that's moving forward. And I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.